God, we come before you and we say that to you. We just want you to know that it's by faith that we would say those words. And I pray for anyone in the room right now who feels that they're distant from you or that they've done something in their life that uh, is beyond your grace. But today, every one of us would know as we started our service by singing about grace, that grace is available for every one of us. We would receive it. We would know it, God. And part of grace is being able to walk with you in those times when you have a different direction for us than we thought. To be able to trust you, to be able to lean into you, to be able to walk with you in a way that shows that beyond our understanding, as we just read in the Bible verse from Proverbs, I pray that you would speak to every one of us, every single person here, at the point of our deepest need and longing and desire. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Thanks so much for being here today. I, just I, always curious on this Sunday, how many got an extra hour of sleep last night, right? No, how many of you milked that hour? Yeah, that's kind of what it would be, the kind of thing that we would do. I just want to echo what John said earlier about the Fall Family Festival. We had over 300 volunteers, so it was just a wonderful experience as we got to come out together. And uh, I was enlisted to man the candy booth, okay? So I was a candy booth, and so the way it worked was one for you, two for me, one for you, two for me, all night long. And I'm feeling it today, okay? A little bit of a sugar hangover here as we get to come in, and then just being all discombobulated from the, just the way we, you know, schedules and rhythms being knocked off a little bit. But I'm Ron, in case you didn't know, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to be able to speak today, and I want to welcome all of you, and those of you who are watching online as well, or be watching the service in the future at some point. And I just want to begin with a question today, just kind of get us to thinking a little bit about where we're going to go in just a little bit. Have, have you ever wanted something that just felt so right that you knew this had to be the right thing, but you didn't get it? Have you ever been in that place? It just didn't seem to work out. You wanted it so badly, you thought it would be the right thing, but you didn't get it. Have you ever been in a spot where you knew what you wanted, but then you didn't end up getting it? I think that we would all be able to say that. Maybe you've experienced a time like that in your life where you had dreams that, or, or desires, and they were shattered, or they were crushed, or they were delayed. Maybe it's about a job, and you didn't get the job that you were looking for, and that really created some consternation. And maybe you desperately want to be married, and it's just not happening, and you think, I have this desire, and it's just not coming my way. Yet, you're yearning and praying for a baby, and you can't get pregnant. Maybe you found your dream house, and somehow is just in, maybe you're about to go into escrow, and it just slips away, and it's gone. Maybe you apply for a specific college and you don't get in. You just knew that this would be the one for you, but it didn't seem to happen. Maybe you leave your job and you are going to a new job, and as soon as you get to the new job, there's a layoff and you're the first to go because you were the last to come. Maybe you're praying for healing physically or emotionally for yourself or a loved one or a friend, but God doesn't seem to heal. He doesn't seem to be where you want him to be. So a question I want to ask today as we get started is what do you do when God says no? God doesn't always say yes. God actually answers prayers in three ways. One would be yes, and he gives what you've asked for, because the Bible says we should ask, and he gives that. The other would be no, 
And he says, no. And the other one would be wait. So he answers prayers in three ways, yes, no, or wait. And sometimes we're in the waiting mode. Sometimes we're in the no mode. But you know what? No and wait also might mean not yet. He's not yet answering the prayer that you want to answer. And so that, that era of not yet, that time of not yet, it takes a lot of trust to be in that place. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a time in the life of David as we're going through the series when God said no to a dream that David had, a desire he had, and how he dealt with what would have been the obvious disappointment of that moment. So go ahead, if you would, grab your message notes. They look like this to be able to follow along all the Bible verses that will be used using will be here today. And also, if you want to open your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 7, that's where we're going to be in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, 2 Samuel chapter 7, some of you may think, well, gosh, that's just another book in 2 Samuel, right? 2 Samuel chapter 7 may not be familiar to you, but I hope today that for the rest of your life that 2 Samuel chapter 7 will be rich and dear to you because of what we're going to learn as we go through this. So 2 Samuel chapter 7 actually sets the stage in both the Jewish and the Christian traditions for the coming of the Messiah. The content of this chapter that we're going to look at today changes the course of world history. And what happens in this chapter can also change our course. It can impact our lives, especially when we're in those seasons where God said no or wait or not yet. So we're going to read today what is called the Davidic Covenant. So this was the covenant given to David. There are actually five. I'll just tell you, there's five covenants in the Old Testament. The first one is the covenant that God made with Noah when Noah came off the ark, that he would no longer flood the earth with water. The second one was the covenant that God made with Abraham, that he would be a nation that would bless others. The third covenant was the high priestly covenant that God made as he was giving the law. The fourth covenant was the covenant that we're going to look at today that was given to David. And in the fifth covenant is in Jeremiah chapter 31, where God promises a new covenant that would be made through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So Davidic covenant is about the coming of Jesus and who he would be. The fifth covenant is about the blood that would be shed, that we would have a relationship with him. So kind of set the stage. Here's where we've been. Over the last few weeks, I just kind of come to where we were last week. We were in 1 Samuel chapters 18 through 23 as we talked about the friendship between David and Jonathan and the relationship they had, all the little encounters that we read about between King Saul and David and Jonathan and the friendship that David and Jonathan had. And so we know that David's been on the run from Saul. He's been on the run for many years. He's been, as we talked about, in cave times or in dark times. He's been fearing for his life. He's been running for cover. He's been living out of sight. He's been seeking to evade King Saul, who was trying to kill him out of jealousy and envy because David had been anointed to be the next king, and Saul couldn't handle the fact that his family name wouldn't be carried on through his son, Jonathan. So then we have this scene that I'm going to kind of walk through where we're you know, getting to today. We have this scene where both Saul and Jonathan were killed in an ill-advised battle that Jonathan stuck by his father in an ill-advised battle that they were engaged in, and both of these folks were killed. And what happened then, as they were killed, then David emerged, he came out of hiding, and he emerged, and he took his God-given position to be the king of the nation of Israel. So on top of that, David has captured a Jebusite city called Jerusalem. Jerusalem in which he had made that his home, and in which he built, and, and that someday his, that, that home would become the capital of the nation. 
Then 2 Samuel 6 talks about the moment. We're getting up to where we are today. 2 Samuel 6 talks about the moment when David brought the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem, and he establishes it there as this will be the place where God's people will come to worship, and God's presence is now in the heart of God's people, where they live and where they reside. So now David is settled in. He settled into this place called Jerusalem, and he's, the first thing he does is he builds a house for himself or a palace made out of cedar. We'll talk about that in just a little bit and read what it says about that. But cedar, which is important because it was a very rare wood in this day, and it was exceptionally valuable, and it was seen as a sign of strength and prosperity. And you, can you just imagine how good your clothes smelled okay, if you lived in a palace made of cedar? How everything would smell. Well, David then decides, he's looking around, and he decides, I've got this house. I've got this palace. God needs a house. God needs a palace. And that's where we pick up today. As we talk about David's desire to build God a house, his dream. So we're going to begin with verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. After the king was settled in his palace... And so that word settled is a key word there because it really says that, you know, David's been fighting, he's been pushing, he's been going. You ever know how they talk about the, the year after a team wins a Super Bowl, they're not likely to win it the next year because they lose focus. They settle down. They don't have the intensity that they had the year before. That's kind of what's happening to David right now. He settles in, and he's resting, and he's not, able, he's not having to run. He's not on the edge anymore. And it says the Lord has given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, hey, Nathan. Nathan is now introduced. First time we've heard about Nathan. And Nathan seems to have a significant role in the life of David uh, as a prophet, and I would even say as his pastor as he's talking to him. And he says, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. So I just want to give you a picture of what the, uh, it's a replica of the Old Testament tabernacle. And so this would be exactly what he was talking about as he was be looking out. Now this is a replica. So this is built with modern day goods and it's not been around for a couple of hundred years. So it's not torn and worn and disheveled and all the ways that God, the tent would have become over time. And so he was looking at this and I'm living in this extravagant palace of cedar and you know, God's over there in the other neighborhood and he just has a tent and it's not very good shape. And so I think that God needs a house like me. I think he needs a house like me. Now there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with the fact that he noticed that God was living in a tent, even though that was God's desire. This was what God said that they should build and make for him. And God had never said, I'm, you know, I'm tired of a tent. Why don't you make me a palace? He had never said that. So it was reasonable and it was admirable, this dream or this desire he had. So that's sometimes our dreams and others. They seem reasonable and they're admirable, but they may not be what God wants us to do. And that's what we're going to see there. So I'm in a palace. The ark of God is in a tent. Wouldn't it be great if God had a temple or palace that could outrival any other god? So in this day, kind of the way that it was, you know, worked is that you would build a god to your uh, temple to your god, and then that would show that you were being blessed by your god. And the more extravagant the temple was, and the more blessed you were by your god. And so you know, kind of, it's hard for David to separate himself from culture in this way. So on the one, on one hand, his gesture seems well-meaning. David wants to do something generous for God. He wants to do something in return to God for what God has done for him. But anytime we get grace, folks, we can't give back to God. 
Sometimes we give to God generously because of what he's done for us. He wanted to give something to God. He wanted to acknowledge God for all that he's done for him. And he just, you know, he was sitting back. And I don't know if he had a throne yet, but he was in his house, his palace, and he was just sitting back. And he doesn't have anything to do anymore. He's been out, he's been pushing and pushing and pushing to stay alive. And he's just sitting back, okay, what do I do now that I've got a palace? What do I do that I'm not afraid for my life anymore? And he says, I've come to this place of rest and stability, so I know what I'll do. I'll build a monument to God. I'll do that. So I live in this house of cedar, and God currently deserves something better, surely deserves something better than a tent. So that's on one hand how this could have been playing out. But on the other hand, we want to go a little bit to the dark side here and what might have been happening to David. Some scholars believe that this was a moment when David's humanity or his hubris or his pride was driving him, driving him. He wanted, listen to this, he wanted to leave his mark. He wanted to leave something for posterity. He wanted to leave something behind that people would be able to talk about and say, David did this. He wanted to make a statement about himself to his people. It wasn't necessarily about God. He wanted to make a statement about himself. He wanted to build an elaborate, spectacular temple in honor of God and also in the desire to unite the nation of Israel in this one true temple so they would all come and everyone would talk about the temple that David built. Eugene Peterson says it this way, David was about to cross over the line from being full of God to being full of himself. The danger zone right here. Full of God or full of himself. It goes on and says this. It says, Nathan replied to the king, hey, king, that sounds great. Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. So he went to his pastor, and he said, hey, pastor, this is what I like to do. And the pastor said, well, hey, that sounds like a great idea. And um, actually, I'll get to serve there, so that's even better. I'll have a home for myself as well. He's thinking about those kinds of things. And Nathan didn't see anything wrong with what David was suggesting. He didn't see anything wrong in the idea, and he basically gave the go-ahead. The problem we have here, there's a problem we have, is that neither one of them asked God. There's a problem there. Neither one of them looked to God and turned to God and said, God, what do you think? Should we be doing this? Well, God had something to say. (laughs) And so he goes ahead and says it, even though they didn't ask him what he might think. And this is what it says. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. And I think, I just want to think, some people might read into this and think that, you know, if if you have a view of God, he's like mad or scowling. You might think that he's like ticked off right now. And he's, you know, kind of letting Nathan have, have, so we can give it to David, have it at this point. But I don't think so. I see this as God playfully telling this. I mean, I think he's amused. Uh, I, I, I think he's, this is kind of a moment where he's just going, oh, you're the one. Oh, you're the one to build me a house. Okay, okay. I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. Just kind of a reminder here. I've not dwelt in a house at any time until today, and I'm still not in a house. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to one of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Ooh. (laughs) All of a sudden, motives are being displayed. God says, what makes you think I need a house? Just because you want me to look better to all the other nations so that they will fear you because they think I'm more powerful because I have a house instead of a tent? 
said, do I need a house to look better than I am? Think about what that means. Saying that God's not enough. God needs my help. He needs my help. He needs me to engage in order for him to look better. Well, then God tells Nathan to remind David that, hey, David, everything you have is not the result of your own strength. It's not the result of your own wisdom or strategic planning or vision. Just remember that, David. All you have is a gift from me. And so then he says, and guess what, David? I have something better in store for you. Goes on and says this. This is what God says to Nathan. Now then, tell my servant. So this is awesome. This is, don't tell King David. He's saying, tell my what? Servant. He's reminding David of his role. You think you're important. You have self-importance here. You think that people need you. You think that I need you. I'm just going to remind you who you are. Tell my servant, David. This is what the Lord Almighty says. And he just reminds him how he got here because of God's grace. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have gone, been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great. Uh, not you will make your name great, but I will make your name great. Like the names of the, get this, the greatest men on earth. That's how great your name will be. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest. So God's going to give him rest. So it begins with rest, in the middle is rest, it's going to end with rest. And if you study rest in the Old Testament, the concept is that I am going to stop striving to gain approval or to do work. I'm going to have rest of all, from all your enemies. So what I want to do right now is I'm going to take four examples here and talk about four ways that you and I can deal with the disappointments of life or deal with the moments when God says no to us from this story. It's not going to be very long because we're going to go really fast through this and to be able to help us just to see what God would say to us today. The first is this. I need to remember that God has a better perspective. I need to remember that God has a better perspective. See, God can see things differently because his perspective is unlimited. So verse 11b through 13a, it says this. So the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself, will, he will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest, again, rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. So basically he's saying, God's saying, I have the ability to see things you can't see. I have a perspective that you don't have. You might want to write this reference down as you've already turned over your notes. Go back to that side. <laughs> Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. And it says this, God speaking, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So God says no, because he has a bigger perspective of what it is that he's going to do. He has a higher view than we have. 
So this week I got to go down and attend the chaplain graduation. We had several folks from our church go through chaplain training uh, down in Rockland. So their graduation was on Tuesday evening, and it started at 7 o'clock, and they told me I needed to get there right about 7 o'clock. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'll do that. So I timed it out how I would get there, and, you know, we still don't have electricity, right? We're still in, I love this new phrase we have, de-energization. <laughs> that makes me feel better, de-energization. So that's what, this, that's what it's called right now, just so you know. There's not blackouts anymore. It's de-energization. So anyway, I'm driving down, and I timed it out, so I think, okay, I have time. I can stop at Starbucks for an espresso, and uh, right there in Auburn, and I can zip through there, and I can get down. I know exactly, I'm, I'm wired this way. I know exactly how long it takes from that Starbucks to get down to where I was going. And so, okay, I can make this. I can make this happen. So I get out of the Starbucks, I get in my car, and I'm driving down the road, and I get to about, um, you know where Nevada Street is in Auburn? If you want to go to that theater over there, it's Nevada Street right there. There's two stoplights right there. Both of those lights were de-energized. <laughs> and, and the traffic was just backed up all the way back a long ways. And so I'm sitting there going, you know what? If I would have had a different perspective, I would have taken Bell Road. <laughs> and I wouldn't be stuck here right now. Well, God, that's the way it works with God, you guys. He has a perspective that we don't have. And he can guide us and he can speak to us and he can lead us in ways that we would want to be and where we'd want to go with a lot less hassle and a lot less difficulty to get there. By the way, I was on time, but it was <laughs> stressful. Okay. Okay, second is this. God has a better plan. God has a better plan. And so this is why we always want to ask God before we act. And this is why when David and Nathan didn't ask God that there was a problem here because they were assuming that their plan was God's plan. Whew, that's a scary place to be. But I find myself here all the time. Just running a lot. It's just one of my weak sides is stopping to ask God what he thinks. Stopping to ask God what he says. You know, and um, you guys know I'm married to the Holy Spirit. And so at home, <laughs> Kim is the opposite of me. And so she's always, we need to pray, we need to pray. We, oh, yeah, I'm the pastor. I know, I need to pray. And she's always calling me to the, on this. But we need to stop and ask him because he has a better perspective. He can see and he has a better plan. And his plan is always better than our own. Let's go ahead and read some more. And I will establish... I'm going to ask you to help me. I'm going to establish the throne of his kingdom. Okay, you guys, let's do this. Establish his kingdom. Okay, there we go. And I will be his father. And he will be my son. And his, your house and your kingdom will endure before me. Your throne will be established. You get the point? It's forever. We're talking about something besides an earthly palace. We're talking about something besides brick and mortar and cedar. We're talking about something else that Nathan then reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. So this is prophetic revelation from God about what God was going to do at some point in the future. So David comes with this dream. God, I want to build a house, a rock house. And God says, I've got something bigger in store for you. And no, you cannot build me a rock house, but I have this dream for you. I will build you a house, David. I'm going to build you a house. You're not going to be building me a house. I will build the house of David through you. I will build the house of David, and I will build a royal dynasty. 
the likes of which the world has never known. So in what he's saying here is he's got a plan that he's going to raise up one of David's descendants and that this descendant is the one who will build the brick house, the cedar house, the house of stone, and a temple for God's name. So that's what's going to happen. And so David was, you know, I'm sure chagrined about this and disappointed that he wasn't going to be the one who gets to build the house because he wouldn't have the name that goes with the house, right? And that's what he wanted. So scholars believe they have two figures in mind here. This this passage about, and that's why I had you concentrate on father, son, forever, forever, forever. So there's two figures in mind here. And the one is the temporary one, and that would be one of David's descendants who would build the earthly palace and one of David's sons, and we know that to be Solomon. So Solomon built the temple, and it was elaborate, it was gorgeous, it was exquisite, it was unbelievable in every way. But God was not looking at just a temporary house, because as we know, within 100 years, this house is destroyed and gone. He wasn't talking about just a temporary house. His plan was more than just for a physical house. He's looking into eternity and the formation of a spiritual house. He's thinking of a future descendant of David. He's prophesying that there would be a future descendant of David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who will come to build a spiritual house for all of God's people, and his kingdom will endure forever and ever and ever. We'll all be part of that. And David realizes something here that he was missing before. Here's what he realizes at this point. I believe he was realizing that God's ways are not his ways, that God's ways are higher than his ways. He realizes that God's ways may be beyond his understanding, but he's going to trust in him. He's reminded that God is God and he's not. So I thought we'd remind ourselves of that today, okay? Work on this and just remind ourselves that God's God and that we're not. So I'm going to ask you, everybody help me out. Index finger, point to the sky. Everybody point to the sky, index finger, and say, God, take that finger, not. Okay? That feel good. Some release in that. Let's do it again. Okay. God, not. Okay, let's do it another way now. God, now turn your finger to your neighbor. Not. <laughs> that was even better. <laughs> oh. Well, just like we would be, David's humbled at this point. So humbled that he goes into the tent that he wanted to tear down. The tent where God was. The tent of God's place. His presence is there. And he gets down on his knees and he says a prayer to God. He's so humbled. And I believe that these would be, lead us to the next two observations or keys that we would want to do when we face disappointing times. And the first one is this. I reflect on God's gracious provision. I reflect on God's gracious provision. I reflect on God, all that God has done. Okay, so let's go on and read verses 18 through 22. Then David went in, and as I said, he probably went into the tabernacle, the one he wanted to raise and tear down, right? That wasn't good enough for God. But now he's humble enough to know that's where God is. And he's going to go into that because he wants to meet with this God. And he sat. That word sat is important. Another place is translated as dwell. 
And the idea is not that he went in and said, okay, God, got to get this over quick because I really want to get on to what I think is the plan or what you're going to tell me next. And so, God, I've got about a minute here, okay? So, God, I'm going to pray, and I want you to just give me the answer. So, God, here's a quarter answer. <laughs> it wasn't that kind of prayer. So what the idea here is he sat. He sat with God. He was with God. He is the one who wrote, be still and know that I am God. He soaked in God's presence. That's the way he went to God in prayer. And he said this. He is humbled now, you guys. He said this. Who am I? Who am I? And he says, sovereign Lord. Underline that in your notes. He says it five times here. Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? So he's humbled and he's grateful. And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant. He's acknowledging that he's God's servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and you have made it known to your servant. So he's saying it's not about me. It's not about my name. It's not about what people will say about me. It's not about me building my own dynasty or my own legacy. It's about what you're doing, God. How great you are, sovereign Lord. How great you are. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. What a beautiful prayer. You know, November is Thanksgiving month as we move towards that holiday. But I've seen lots of people on social media use November as gratitude month. And so here we are on day three, and I'm seeing people post every day of things that they're grateful for. I think that would be a good exercise for us as we reflect on God's gracious goodness to us, his gracious provision, because we can get blind to what he's given us, and we can always see what we don't have, and what God wants us to do is to focus on what we do have, and as we focus on what we do have, it's okay that he said no about what we want to do, because we realize how much he's done for us, and we can live in that place. And then the last idea is this, reflect on God's trustworthy promises. Reflect on God's trustworthy promises. I'm going to read the rest of 2 Samuel 7. This is the rest of his prayer. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. If there was ever a question in David's mind about who this was about, it's cleared up. It's cleared up right now. This is about God. This is about them hearing from God. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. So David is saying here is, I'm going to place my hope, I'm going to place my trust in the promise you have made to me. Even though you've said no, I'm going to trust that your yes will be carried out by you when I no longer live, when I'm no longer here. 
because you are a trustworthy God and that you will keep every promise that you make. And I trust you in that. So he's sitting before God and he's listening to God. So part of sitting is listening and he's listening more for God's perspective. He's probably going over the words that Nathan had spoken to him, that God had given him about the fact that God has a bigger perspective and God has a better plan. And now he's praising God for his grace. He's thanking him expressing gratitude for what God has done, how God has provided. And he's also saying to him, I trust you, God. You guys ever find that to be a hard place to be? To trust him completely in every way, to let go of the outcomes that are around you, to trust him completely. Ah, this is one of the hardest issues for me, is to let go and trust him because he wants what is best for me. He wants what is best for my family. He wants what is best for this church. He wants what is best for my, the people around me. I trust him with that. And so that's what David is saying he's doing. He's saying this. And what he did was he prayed God's promises back to him. It's one of the most powerful prayers you can pray is praying God's word to him. Pray the promises Claim the promises. Pray them back to him. Trust him and rest in him. God loves it when you pray his words back to him. He loves it when you take the promises that he's given in this book and ask him, God, make this true in my life. If this promise is for me, God, make this true. He loves it when we trust him to do what he says he will do. So God says no sometimes. God says no to good dreams. It's all over the Bible. There was a moment when Moses, it was at the end of the time of the people in the desert, and they were about to go into the promised land, and Moses is all geared up to go into the promised land. He says, God, can I go? Can I go? Can I go? And God said, no. In the New Testament, there's this Apostle Paul, and Apostle Paul had a malady. We're not sure what that malady was. We don't even know what it is. It could, be a, could have been a speech impediment some people thought he might have. It could have been some physical condition that caused him to be sick or to be in pain or to be in discomfort in some way. It could have been his eyesight, different things that people think, but no one is sure. But Paul, if you read this, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, he pleads with God to take this thorn from his side to make him whole. And what does God say? No. God says no to him. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his crucifixion. And he says, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, let this cup of suffering pass from me. If there's any other way than me going to the cross, God, please make that happen. God said no. And so David comes to this place where he wants to build God this dream house. And God says no. And I just want us to understand today that if God would say no to Moses and God would say no to Paul and God would say yes, no to Jesus and God would say no to David, that God will say no to us as well. And he's not mad at us. He's not picking on us. He's saying no because he's got a bigger perspective and he's got a better plan. And he wants us to be a living testimony of what it looks like when someone trusts in his promises. Now, I'm just going to take you into a little a verse that's going to take us 
right to where we're going to be for Christmas, but I thought it was so powerful for today. 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul is writing, and he's talking about God's promises, and he says this, for no matter how many God's Many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They're yes in him. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. All the promises of God are yes in Christ. Second Samuel 7 is the promise of the coming of the Messiah. Uh, he came, and the promise, God was saying, this is my yes. And because you've seen my yes, because you've seen Jesus Christ, because you can know him, you can trust me that I'm working all things out together for the good in your life. He's there for you. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for the power in the story and all that you've spoke to me. There's just so much more that I wish I could say today. And God, I just pray right now for everyone in the room. And I want to pray especially for those who are in that, that feeling that you've said no to them. They have a desire and it's not happening or they're waiting. And God, I just pray right now that they would be able to have courage. That, that part of the courage is to just quit focusing on what we're dreaming about and instead focus on what, you do, what you're doing around us. And so maybe that's the key today is just to, just to practice gratitude, practice, practice expressing our wonderful love to you and to our gratefulness for your grace. And God, for others of us, there's a need for promises that there are promises in the Bible that are for us. And so, God, would you help us to know your word? Would you help us to read your word? Would you help us to experience your word so that it's planted in our hearts? And so as we are coming into life, we can claim the promises that we know that you have given, and we can ask you, God, that you would work out this promise for us. We want to trust you, Father. We love you. And God, since we talked about Jesus being the Messiah there are people in the room who have never said yes to Jesus, never said yes to his loving grace and the gift he gave by going to the cross. So if you want to, you say yes, Jesus. Say yes, yes, yes. Yes, Jesus, I say yes to what you did for me on the cross. I say yes to the forgiveness I can know. As we talked about today, that we come, come out of that grave and we can celebrate the glorious day when we met you, Jesus. And then, God, you would help us to live for you, to live positively for you, to be an example for you, to realize that your reputation's not, you're not relying on us. You will work your will out in this world. Help us to walk with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.